Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. I want to jump right in this morning to um, our sermon on discipleship. As a discipleship pastor, it's something I've been wanting to talk about since the day I started. <laughs> uh, but it works out better this way because it's given me a really good chance to see just how we do things. You know, what does discipleship look like at First Baptist Church? And our mission is making disciples of Jesus Christ. Right? That is our mission. That's what everything is based on. That's what we measure our ministries against. If we are accomplishing what we're seeking out to accomplish, we're seeing disciples made. That's really what it boils down to. Um, so before we can talk about how we do discipleship, I wanted to take some time to define what a disciple and discipleship is so we can just be sure we're all on the same page. Okay, the terms that most people or a lot of people use for discipleship are things like becoming more like Christ, spiritual growth, spiritual journey, discipleship, which whoever made this list of words that people use to define discipleship and put discipleship on it clearly never went through the same school I did where they said you never use the word to define the word you're defining. They use spiritual maturation, sanctification, spiritual formation, right? These are all terms that I would use in an effort to describe what discipleship is, but none of those terms is able to tell the whole story, right? There's more to it than just those terms. I want to share some stats with you this morning that kind of paint a picture for what discipleship looks like in America, what the culture of discipleship looks like. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, the terms or the, the outlook isn't great, <laughs> to say the least. Despite believing that their church emphasizes spiritual growth, only 20% of Christians are involved in some sort of discipleship activity. These stats, by the way, they come from a Barna study, um, some Gallup research, and some other independent studies. Uh, the Barna study you can get access to online. There is a fee uh, for that, and it's 144 pages long. So I'm just giving some of the, the key highlights uh, this morning. Despite believing that their church emphasizes spiritual growth, only 20% of Christians are involved in some sort of discipleship activity. According to David Kinnaman, 43%, um, there's a 43% drop-off between the teen and early adult years in terms of church engagement. 70% of active youth group members leave the church by the time they're 22. Active, right? Not, not some who attend a couple times a year or once in a while, but those who are regularly at youth group and involved. 70% of active youth group members leave the church by the time they're 22. Barna estimates that 80% of those raised in the church will be disengaged by the time they're 29. 51% of teens who leave the church in their 20s left because their spiritual needs were not being met. 23% say they wanted to know more about the Bible when they were in church, but they didn't get it. As Americans, 45% uh, of Americans claim to be born again. This is from that Gallup poll. 76% identify as Christian. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's evidence of that in their lives or that they all ascribe to the same values, but in a survey that they received, they checked the box that they were Christian. 
However, according to several independent surveys, Christians who show some evidence of following Christ is 8%. Of the 76% who identify as Christians, 8% show some evidence of following Christ. And that's down 30% from 1991. And although literacy rates are at a higher level than ever, and the Bibles owned are at a higher rate than ever, it seems like some other rates are going down. The average American, right, not just Christians, the average American owns 4.4 Bibles. It's a lot of Bibles. I I definitely contribute to that stat. I have probably like 20 Bibles. (laughs) 4.4 Bibles. But only 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. 20% 20% say they never read the Bible. Only 19% of people who identify as born-again Christians have a Christian worldview, which is defined as holding to the basic tenets of historic Christian faith. Only 46% of people believe in absolute moral truth. Only 40% believe that Satan is real. Only 47% reject the idea that you can work your way to heaven, meaning only 47% believe that you don't get to heaven based on your works. Only 62% believe that Jesus was sinless. 68% believe that the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is a Bible verse, which is actually closer to a verse from the Koran. America is in desperate need for a renewal of discipleship. Desperate need. And I know some people would say that America is in a desperate need of revival, and I would not disagree with that. But I think more importantly than that, we are in a desperate need for a renewal of authentic discipleship because discipleship is the framework that sustains revival once it begins. Back in the 18th century, George Whitfield, he was this great preacher. He drew thousands and thousands and thousands of people to Christ. But he he was a preacher, right? He went... And he gave the word, and he gave the word powerfully, and people came to Christ because of it. But he didn't have a framework after the words. He preached the word, he left. And then his legacy, to some degree, died when he did. Because there's, this, there's a difference between converts and disciples. Right? On the other hand, you had John Wesley. Exact same time frame, they were contemporaries of one another. John Wesley was, he's an all right preacher. He wasn't as good as Whitfield. He also led thousands of people to Christ, but he created an organized system to get people into discipleship. He created what he called bands and classes in society, which was like small groups, slightly larger groups, and then like a Sunday morning service or a revival type service. The thing is, he wouldn't preach somewhere unless he knew that there was people there who are willing to follow up, who are willing to facilitate the discipleship process when everything was over with. Because he knew that hearing the gospel... It wasn't enough to sustain that lifestyle. Discipleship had to happen after the fact. And now, if you look at the world and you look at churches, the Methodist movement is one of the biggest in the world, and that started with John Wesley. And granted, the, you know, the Methodist church as a whole has its, its issues, but it seems like every church <laughs> has its issues nowadays. But the Methodist movement includes the United Methodist Church, the Global Methodist Church, the Wesleyan Church, the Nazarene Church, there's almost no town that you can go to without seeing one of those churches. It's all over the world. And a part of the reason is because of discipleship. Because they created a system to help people grow, to grow with one another, and to sustain the life of faith. 
Discipleship is so, so, so important. And it's easy to hear all those stats that we read through. It feels a little bit like drinking through a fire hose. It's a lot. It's easy to hear those stats and think, those, those man, that's, America needs help, but they're not us. But here's two stats from our church that I think are stats that we could work on. The lowest represented group in our church is the 25 to 35-year-old group. If you look back at those stats, that's the group that they say is leaving the church, and that holds true for us. The lowest represented group is 25 to 35 years old. And we talked about how 20% of people are engaged in, engaged in active discipleship. When we went through and based on our ministries, now this doesn't take into consideration what you may be doing outside of church that we don't know about, but based on our ministries here in-house, 30 to 35% are engaged in regular discipleship activities. 30 to 35%. And that's, this is our church. And we're not talking about the church down the road. We're not talking about a church in New York City. We're talking about our church. But why is discipleship important? If you look back to that stat about teens who left the church, it says 51% of teens who left the church left because their spiritual needs weren't being met. And 23% said that they wanted to know more about the Bible. And although that represents people leaving, it also represents hope. Right? Those teens knew that they had a need. They had a desire to connect with God. They knew that there was something that was greater than themselves that they wanted to know about and know more about, and they weren't finding it at the church. So they went to find it someplace else. So while it's a statistic that's a bit depressing, <laughs> it's also a statistic that offers us a lot of hope. People want to know Christ. People want to know why their life isn't fulfilled. People want to know more about the God who created them. And as a church, we need to figure out how to help them meet that need. Discipleship is the key, and it requires participation from a majority. Right? It's not just about the pastors or the elders or ministry leaders, but it's about every single one of us in the room getting involved to be a part of the discipleship process. So let's dive into some scripture this morning. What is a disciple? What does a disciple look like? So we're going to look at the calling of the disciples. In Matthew 4:19, Jesus said, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." Right, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." We're going to sit on this verse for just a minute this morning. Is this one sentence packs a real punch? There's three things that I want to point out about this sentence. The first part is follow me. Right, follow me. And before I go on, this verse doesn't define everything that there is to define about a, a disciple by any means, but it does provide a framework, uh, an outline, if you will, that gives us the ability to use other scriptures to support it and build out what a disciple looks like. But this is where we're going to start the outline or the framework we're going to have today. Follow me. Right, we must first accept Christ. We must first follow him. And that's largely a decision that happens intellectually. It's largely a decision that happens at the head level, right? We hear the gospel. We recognize our need. We realize that Jesus Christ is the only one who can pay the penalty, pay the sacrifice, pay the price for our sin. And we come to a point where we realize we need to repent, and confess our sins, and be saved. Right? There's something that happens intellectually in our minds that has to happen before our feet will follow. And following involves accepting Christ as Lord of our lives, it involves submission, it involves service, it involves repentance. Right? Through the series we've been in, and in Mark, we talked a lot about this idea of repentance. We've talked about 
a lot about the idea of this kingdom coming and how repentance is when we turn away from our old life. We set all that aside and we step into a new life with Jesus Christ. It's not even necessarily a 180-degree turnaround, right? It's, it's turning away and stepping into something new entirely. Because when Christ comes into our lives, he's making us new. Right, this conversion moment, this, this moment of following, it results in placing Christ before ourselves. John 12, 26 says this, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And speaking about his death, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's telling them that until the end, until even in death, that they need to be with him. They need to be following him. They need to be on the road with him. But the thing is, it's both a command and a promise, because he says even in death, until the end, there is no point once we've given our lives to Christ that we cease to be with him, that we cease to be in his presence. It's a command to follow. It's also a promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Part of following is obedience. John 14, 23 through 24 says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And that obedience and our love, they should continue to increase. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Following requires accepting Christ in conversion. It requires acknowledging our imperfection, repenting, and then pursuing Christ with our eyes fixed solely on him with our gaze up towards Christ, which brings us to the next piece. I will make you, right? Follow me, and I will make you. And this idea, these words, I will make you, speak to transformation. And it talks about the transformation that happens in our life as a result of our faith in Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Christ takes us where we are, but he refuses to leave us there. It doesn't matter what sin is in our life when we hear the gospel. It doesn't matter what our past has been. It doesn't matter what we've done, how bad we think it is, how bad we think we are. I can't tell you how many times I've heard in trying to invite people to church, oh, if I walked through the doors of the church, the place would collapse. The doors would fall off, the place, the roof would fall in on me. And that's just not true, right? Jesus takes us where we are, who we are, all of our sin included, and he takes us as we are, but he refuses to leave us there. He wants to see growth in us, and he, the Holy Spirit, begins to transform us. I love the way that 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18 puts it. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the, Lord, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being He takes us where we're at. He takes us right where we are, right in the dirtiness, in the worst of the worst, He takes us where we're at, and as we follow him with our eyes fixed on him, we're being transformed, become more like him, from one degree of glory to another. And sometimes this process hurts a bit, right? Sometimes the process of transformation hurts. In John 15, 1 through 2, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me 
that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear fruit. Yet there are times that growth hurts. There are times that discipleship is, is difficult. There are times that Jesus convicts us of a sin that we're not ready to let go yet. There are times that we're in a sin-corrupt world and we're walking through difficulties that we don't think we can handle, a weight that we don't think we can carry, and God allows it to happen. And at times we ask questions, we go, why? (laughs) Why are you letting me go through this? If you have the best for me, why is this what my life is right now? It's because we live in a sin-corrupt world, but as we walk through those moments, with Christ, transformation happens at an, at an accelerated rate. Growth happens in those moments that couldn't happen otherwise. There's this part of us that wants us to be, we want to be good enough right where we are. Right? We want to feel like, Jesus, you have no work to do in my life because I'm perfect just the way I am. <laughs> there's no growth that needs to happen. But there's always more growth to happen. Jesus is constantly forming us into something better. So where follow me is primarily a mental acceptance, this idea of, and I will make you, is primarily a spiritual response by the Holy Spirit. Follow me is an opportunity for us to make a decision to follow, to let our guard down, to submit to Christ. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us, and he begins transforming us from day one. I love how Jim Putman puts it. He says, but discipleship at heart involves transformation at the deepest levels of our understanding, affection, and will by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God and in relationship with the people of God. Let me read that one more time. But discipleship at heart involves transformation at the deepest levels of our understanding, our affection, and our will by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God and in relationship with the people of God. We talked about that sense of community at the beginning of the service and how important it is. When in combination with the Word of God, the Spirit empowering us to understand, to see God, to convict us of sin, and a community of faith around us, growth is just, it's irresistible. You can't help but to grow. And it brings us to our next part of this sentence. Fishers of men, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. If you hadn't guessed already, now we're going to talk about action. We'll talk a little bit about action. Jesus called his disciples to follow. He transformed who they were, and then he gave them a new purpose. He says to them, you were fishermen, right? You were a rebel. You were a tax collector. But now you're a fisherman. Now you're fishers of men. Now you have a calling to spread the news of the kingdom, and he spent the next three years walking with them and teaching them what it meant to spread the news of the kingdom. Jesus calls each and every one of us for a purpose. He was explicit with his disciples what he meant. Now we have their example to figure out what that means for us. Jesus calls us for a purpose. Right? He started with our head, it moves to our hearts, and it should move out through our hands. Right? And if it doesn't begin moving out through our hands, if it doesn't begin resulting in our feet walking and our hands moving a bit, then we should ask ourselves, have we truly let the gospel impact our heart? Have we let the Holy Spirit transform us? 
Is that change really happening? 2 Corinthians 5, 15 through 20 says, He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we were once regarded, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to him, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Being a disciple means having a purpose, which is why our church's mission statement is making disciples of Jesus Christ. That is what our purpose is. We were saved not so that mission could stop at our conversion, but so that it could, on behalf of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, pass on through us to somebody else. To be disciples, making disciples. This idea of follow me is a call to action. Where we have a mental acceptance, then through the spiritual response of the Holy Spirit, we have transformation, and that moves us, hopefully, into a call to action to become the ambassadors of Christ with this message of reconciliation. So to kind of recap that, a disciple is somebody who is following Christ, who is continually being transformed by God's grace and is living on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In discipleship, is the intentional steps that we take to facilitate that process in ourselves and in others. Right? Discipleship isn't something that we're able to do alone. It's something that we have to do with, with others. We should have somebody who is discipling us, and we should have somebody who we are discipling. It's not something that can be done alone. If we think we're doing discipleship and we're doing it by ourselves, it's probably not discipleship. It's probably something else. So, application. How does this all apply? The first thing I want to give you this morning is more of kind of a personal, individual shift of perspective so that we can get ourselves into this discipleship mindset. I want to read you the Great Commission, and it says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's four parts that we could break this down into. The first part is go therefore. Think missionally. Think missionally. And I'm not talking specifically about a, like maybe a place, not not necessarily a mission trip or a specific organization that you work with. Those things are great and it might be a part of it. But think missionally. I'm talking about live intentionally to maximize opportunities to build relationships and share the gospel. How can you wake up in the morning and be intentional to maximize the opportunities that you have to build relationships and to share the gospel? Maybe it's like being a frequent flyer at the coffee shop. When I worked at Starbucks, one of their principles, one of the things that they continue to drill into you is that we want to be a third place. We want to be a a place where we recognize people where people feel comfortable. They want people to feel like they have home, they have work, and then Starbucks is their third place. 
And it's all about recognition and belonging and knowing people. That those relationships are important because it gives you opportunity. What I realized as I worked there was that as I remembered people's orders, remembered their names, that it gave them a sense of belonging. Right? And as we become you know, frequent flyers at some kind of establishment or in a specific place or intentionally meeting with the same people every week and remembering names, thinking about the things that they're going through, it gives us an opportunity to share how God is working in our life, how God might address their issues or the things that they're working through. How can we be intentional? You know, maybe it means being a helpful and positive neighbor. I have awesome neighbors in my community. They're actually from our church. I don't know if they're here this morning or not, but um, Jim and Nita Kitson. Before we ever came to this church, we moved into our neighborhood, and I remember, I think it was when Hannah was pregnant with Emerson, woke up in the morning, you know, and we got snow like eight months of the year. We have lots of it. And I got up thinking I'm going to shovel my sidewalk and shovel the driveway so Hannah can get out and go to school, and it's already done. I'm like, what? Who did my driveway? I mean, I was super thankful, but I wondered who it was. And it wasn't until like two years later, right, that I actually knew it was Jim doing it, and that Jim was a part of First Baptist Church. And it was, just made us feel welcome, right? And in that moment, not just welcome in our community, but welcome in our church. Right? That, that presence went on. And it's not just doing snow. It's, you know, helping neighbors do their leaves, using the lawnmower to bag leaves. And Jim is just somebody who the neighborhood knows is a helpful person and is a positive person and wants to see the community clean and safe and a fun place to live. Right, if that's every single one of us in our communities, when people walk through these doors, they'll know they're welcome because they're welcome at home. It's so important. How can we be intentional about the ways that we live and share the gospel? The second thing in that Great Commission, right, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Share intentionally. You don't get the opportunity to baptize until somebody has accepted Christ. We need to share the gospel intentionally. Robbie Gallaty, uh, who wrote the book Replicate, where we find our model for uh, discipleship groups, says this, remember, the gospel came to you because it was headed to somebody else. Remember, the gospel came to you because it was headed to somebody else. Now, I know that's kind of an oversimplification <laughs> because it's, also coming to us so that we can receive salvation and spend eternity with Christ. But it needs to not stop there, right? There is an intention and a purpose that it go through us to somebody else. It brings purpose and direction to every interaction if we think in terms of mission. If we think about it sharing intentionally, every interaction that we have with somebody now has a purpose. It's not just small talk. It's not just a conversation. Every moment of every day can be filled with purpose. The third thing, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. That word observe is important. We'll get there in just a second. Live obediently. Right? Live obediently. One disadvantage to higher literacy rates in Bibles being everywhere is that at times we begin taking the Bible for granted. And it becomes information over instruction. Now there's truth that there is information in the Bible and there's a necessity that we know who God is, the fact that he created the world, that he's sovereign, that he's all-knowing, that he's graceful, that he's merciful, that he's loving. All of these things, these are all important things to know. But we can't fail to understand that the Bible is also instructional, that there are commands, that there are 
messages about how we should live and walk and love and the things that we should do. And at times, we read the Bible as if it's only informational. I got to know all the words of all 66 books that I can say I've read the whole Bible and then I can be a real Christian. (laughs) The truth is, you could read one gospel, catch a really great glimpse of who God is and do all the words with it, follow Christ intentionally and faithfully and be just as strong a Christian. Now, it's important, I believe, to know the entire Bible. It's important to know as many words of the Bible as possible because the more of God we know, the more that that can filter through our lives. But it's not worth knowing all of the Bible if it means forsaking the instructional nature of it, actually putting into practice what we read. The key there is the word observe. Right? It doesn't say, I'm teaching them to observe teaching them every command in the Bible. It says teaching them to observe. Depending on the translation, maybe teaching them to obey every word that I have commanded you. There's an implication that there's participation and there's doing involved. The fourth thing, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Trust the Lord in all situations. Trust the Lord in all situations. Just like life is difficult, discipleship is difficult. It's not easy. Nobody wants to be told that they're sinful. Nobody wants to have their sin exposed. Nobody wants to be told that they have to change their life. And it can be really discouraging over time. Maybe you pour into somebody for years and years and years, and it doesn't seem like it ever amounts to anything. They never come to Christ, and you feel like, inside you feel like, ah, am I wasting my time? Am I missing something here? Why am I doing this? And this is it right here. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In other places in the gospel, Jesus talks about the harvest. He encourages us to continue planting seed. And it may not be us who, who reaps the harvest. It may not be something that we ever see or even know about. But we continue to plant those seeds. We continue to fertilize and water the ground. And when the time is right, Jesus will put the person in that person's life who's ready to harvest it. Don't be discouraged. The Great Commission is bookended by Jesus' sovereignty in the words, all authority, and by his eternal presence, and I will be with you always until the end of the age. So that's the first application, this shift in perspective towards intentional discipleship. And the second then is, how do we do this as a church? How do we do this specifically as a community of faith? Because discipleship takes intentionality, right? When When you're sighting in a rifle, you don't shoot down range and then draw a circle around where you shot and say, I hit the bullseye every time. Right? That's not a good way to put food on the table. <laughs> you make your target and you shoot at it, and then you can zoom in more and more and more and zero in on the actual target. And we need to do the same thing as a church when it comes to discipleship. Right? So over the last few months, as we've been evaluating the church's health, going through um, this process um, with Shrina to understand just the workings of our church and where we're doing well, where we can use some work, where we can improve. Uh, we've taken the time to develop what we're calling the Discipleship Roadmap. And I just wanted to take a minute this morning or a couple minutes this morning to share that with you. At First Baptist Church, we have kind of like a five-step process that we want to see everybody go through. All right? And some of these happen very naturally, and some of them you need to be very, very intentional about. So the first three steps. The first step is visiting, right? So these are people who are seeking God and visiting First Baptist Church. 
As a church, we aim to quickly move people to the next step of the discipleship process, which is um, connecting. There's, um, so visiting. It's, it's the initial steps of trying to test the waters and see, is this the place for me to worship? Is this the place for me to connect with God? Is this a place I want to belong? The second step is connecting. People are in some kind of meaningful connection to the life-giving body of Christ at First Baptist Church. They're becoming part of the family themselves, growing in depth of relationship with the people of First Baptist Church. Right, and there's lots of different ways that you can connect at church. We talked about some of them before. Some of the ministries that we have, connect groups. Right? We just finished up a semester of connect groups where we had about 70 people or so who were involved in just connecting and taking time to get to know each other and were looking into the scriptures after services. Uh, life groups and small groups. We don't have a ton of those yet, but it's something that continues to develop, and there are some that are meeting. Discovery Hour, Youth Group, Awana, Carpenters Union, Revive, Retirees Ministry, right? There's all these different places to connect. And you might be asking the question, well, that sounds like a discipleship activity, and there are discipleship components to every ministry that we have in our church. But there is no ministry that we would do if it didn't build into the discipleship process. So if you hear a ministry and you think it's in the, the wrong place, I'll explain in just a minute why it is where it is. Uh, the next step, step, step three, is committing. People are committed to the community at First Baptist Church and are making intentional commitments to grow in their faith. All right, if you get to this step, step three, if you've moved through visiting, you've moved through connecting, and you're thinking, this is the place where I want to call home, this might in- involve things like membership, giving, serving, uh, you know, finding a place to serve. Our ministry continues to grow, and the things that we continue to try to do in our church and our community continues to grow, and it takes a lot of hands, a lot of hands to get it all done. And if you haven't been baptized, and if you've made it to this step of committing, we hope that you do, you've, you've done that because you've given your life to Christ and you want to come to know more about him and do it within community. If you've not been baptized yet, we really want to encourage you to take that step of baptism, and Pastor Chad and I would love to talk to you about that. Step four. Right, I talked about how some of these ministries may seem like they belong someplace else, and this is where the rubber meets the road there. We talked this morning about the marks, right? Missional, accountable, reproducible, communal, and scriptural. In order to be a disciple-making or a multiplying ministry like we're going to talk about in just a minute, it needs to accomplish all five of those. It needs to be missional, accountable, communal, scriptural, and reproducible at its core in order to be a disciple-making or multiplying activity or a multiplying ministry. So in disciple-making, people are committed to the discipleship process with a desire to lead others to grow as disciple-makers, evidenced and measurable by the acronym MARKS, missionable, missional, accountable, reproducible, communal, and scriptural. And we do this currently through discipleship groups. And if that's something that you're interested in, I'd love to talk to you about it, but there's also lots of people in groups. About 17% of our regular attendance is in discipleship groups right now, and we'd love to see that continue to grow because we really believe in the communal and accountable and scriptural piece of those. And then multiplying. Multipliers are leaders of leaders, training and empowering others to raise up the next group of leaders and reproducing their discipleship groups. So once you've been in a discipleship group as a participant, we'd love to see you then a part, a piece of that is groups over after 12 to 18 months separate and start another group. 
Right, so a discipleship group, if, you do, if you're not familiar, is three to f- six people who get together weekly to discuss Scripture, uh, work through Scripture memory, to talk about their journals, to pray for one another, to pray for somebody in their lives who doesn't know Christ yet. Um, and you do this once a week for about an hour or so for a period of 12 to 18 months. And then at the end of that time, your group divides and you multiply so that continues to grow exponentially in the church. So this is our roadmap. It's not perfect. It will likely change as we find holes and as we poke holes in things and we go, yeah, maybe that needs to shift. Maybe that doesn't belong in step two and it belongs in step four. Things will continue to change as this discipleship roadmap, as we have time with it. But if you find yourself and you think, I'm currently in step one, I'm in the visiting phase, what would it take for you to get to connecting? Right? If you feel like you've already connected and you're in a small group or you're you know, you've gone to connect groups. And you want to figure out what's my next step. How do I become like a member here? Step three, right? That's the committing. Maybe membership is your next step. What would it take for you to get to step four and to step five? What would it continue, take for you to continue to grow in discipleship? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning, to worship you, to praise you, and to hear the words of scripture that you've given us. I'm so thankful that you have given each and every one of us a greater purpose. And life would seem aimless if we were just here for a time, wandering aimless with nothing to do. But you've given us, each and every one of us, a unique purpose to serve. And I pray that you would empower us as a church to be the ambassadors, to bring that message of reconciliation to the world. I thank you for being a loving and merciful God. And I pray that you would empower each and every one of us to take your message out into our community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.